Philippians chapter 2. We're going to start in verse 12. When we get there. Can you hear all right, Jim? You're good to go? How many fingers am I holding up? (laughs) Second what? (laughs) All right. Let's pray and we'll get into the study. Lord, thank you once again, Lord, as we get to gather together. Lord, to worship, Lord, to pray, Lord, to uh, wait upon you, Lord, to hear from you, Lord, desire to receive, Lord, from your word, Lord, that you would teach us uh, here tonight, Lord, and just thank you for the truth of your word, Lord, and how you sanctify us by your truth, and Lord, set us apart for what you desire, And, Lord, thank you for the gifts that you give, Lord, and you give gifts of teaching and words of wisdom, Lord, and just pray that you would pour all this out for us tonight, Lord. Desire to hear from you and be taught by you, Lord, and to be strengthened and edified and encouraged and built up in you, Lord, that we would live lives that bring glory unto you, Lord. And just thank you for tonight. Thank you for your love and your grace. Thank you for your truth. And thank you uh, as we get to come and just give you all the praise and glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, chapter 2, since we're starting in the middle, just a real quick reminder of Philippians, one of the prison epistles. So Paul writing and in prison, and he had been in prison when he was in Philippi. Remember, he got some stripes laid upon him, thrown into the deepest, darkest part, or at least in the most secure part, as the Bible says, of of the prison. And uh, here he is writing a letter, and one of the repeating words of this letter is joy, rejoicing, and uh, what an amazing thing uh, just to consider what Paul went through and what he did, and, and yet he's writing to the Philippians to remind them of the joy that we have in our Lord. And he identifies himself as a doulos, a servant of, of Jesus Christ, the doulos, the one that freely hands himself over, basically, freely submits unto uh, his master and uh, freely signs away all his rights so that he can just serve the one whom he loves. And that's, uh, that's Paul writing this letter. And so as we pick it up in verse 12, you'll see that it starts, Wherefore, and every good Bible student says, What when they come to a wherefore or a therefore? Why there you go. <laughs> Why is it there, or what is it there for? And, and really uh, coming to that conclusion of what was just written as to what you should be doing with that information. So jump back to verse 1 of chapter 2, and it says, If there be therefore, so, oh wow, we got another therefore. So we got to jump back all the way to chapter 1, and in really doing this fun exercise for us so we can get to verse 12 is, is really my point uh, for doing this. So chapter 1, verse 12 says, But I would... Ye should understand, brethren, that the things which happened unto me have fallen out rather unto the furtherance of the gospel. And so all the things that happened to Paul, um, he's in prison, 
Um, and, and he's writing, these things happened for the furtherance of the gospel. And that's really the, the point as, as we jump into uh, Philippians is, is to take us as we go through this study, the furtherance of the gospel. And uh, what a phrase, you know, because the, the way the, the Lord works with me and when I study the word and he'll bring questions to mind. And the question is, what do I further with my life? And what do you further with your life? So Paul's saying these things that happened to him were the, for the furtherance of the gospel. And can we take inventory of our own lives and say, the things that happen to me, the things that I go through, is for the furtherance of the gospel. The way I work at my work, the way I interact with my family, the way I interact when I'm out is for the furtherance of the gospel. And that we would live lives really based on the furtherance of the gospel. Now, we know that the wisdom of the world teaches that our life is supposed to be a life of self-pursuit, right? You got to make sure your, your, reput- your reputation is good. You got to chase after prestige or power or um, the, uh, the house with the two-car garage and the white picket fence, right? The, the life of ease, that's that's what life is about, is to get to that place where you get to retire and do nothing, right? <laughs> Which, you know, retiring is, is not a bad thing, because you're going to, if you continue to live your life for the furtherance of the gospel, there's really no retirement. You're just stopping that work to continue on to do his work. Not that you weren't doing his work before, but it's just a continuation, right? But it's all for the furtherance of the gospel. And that's the whole point, the furtherance. Whatever I do is because of the furtherance of the gospel. And so not following the wisdom of the world that would say chase after your own heart. You have to first love yourself before you can learn how to love others. All lies. That's just selfish pursuits. But we do what we do for the furtherance of the gospel. Jesus said they'll know you are my disciples by your love. The love that we have for the one another. The, why do we love one another? It's for the furtherance of the gospel. And, and Paul's prayer in chapter 1, verses 9 through 11, he says, In this I pray that your love may abound yet more and more in knowledge and in all judgment, that ye may approve things that are excellent, that ye may be sincere and without offense till the day of Christ, being filled with the fruits of righteousness, which are by Jesus Christ unto the glory and praise of God. And then in chapter 2, you know, we know the great chapter, uh, the picture of Jesus Christ who made himself of no reputation, who humbled himself, who was obedient to the point of death. And um, the picture of, of that obedience and all that was done was because of the furtherance of the gospel. We might even say the establishment of the gospel through his death and resurrection. And so back to verse 12, Wherefore, my beloved, as ye have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence. And so, again, as 
the Philippians would have been reading this. They would have read about the obedience that Christ went through, and now Paul is just relaying that sort of idea unto them that they have always obeyed, not just in Paul's presence, not they weren't doing these things to to make Paul happy about it or to um, make it look like they were doing what he wanted. It wasn't unto Paul, but it was unto Jesus Christ that they were obedient to these things because of Christ. And they loved and wanted to follow Christ. And, and so it's, they didn't always obey in his presence, but how much more in his absence as Epaphroditus, who brought this word to Paul from the Philippians and brought uh, actually a gift as well. But Paul hears word. He's like, hey, you, you guys are just living your life unto Christ. An amazing and glorious thing, is it not? And uh, the word obeyed, I like to look up words. In the Greek is a compound word, which is two words, under hearing. I like that because it's really uh, what you hear, you submit yourself under it, to it. It's, uh, it's a matter of being under that. And, and why do people like to uh, claim ignorance so that they're not accountable to uh, what they hear or maybe what they read? And so if I don't read my Bible, then the things that I do, I don't know whether they're good, bad, right? And therefore I can get away with it because I can claim ignorance. But we all know that that's not really the case. But uh, to be under hearing, and whether it's in his presence, whether uh, Paul is not there, and same thing for us. You know, the Bible gives us very clear direction as to how we are to act. Ephesians and Colossians to both uh, very similar passages about this in Ephesians chapter 6, verses 5 through 7. You write, Servants, be obedient to them that are your masters according to the flesh, with fear and trembling and singleness of your heart as unto Christ, not with eye service as men pleasers, but as the servants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart, with good will, doing service as to the Lord and not to men. In Colossians, very similar, chapter 3, verses 22 through 25. Servants, obey in all things your masters according to the flesh, not with eye service as men pleasers, but in singleness of heart, fearing God. And whatsoever ye do, do it heartily, as to the Lord, and not unto men, knowing that of the Lord ye shall receive the reward of the inheritance, for ye serve the Lord Christ. And to take that wherever we go. We serve Christ. We do the things that we do for him, for his glory. Whether, um, um, whatever the job is. You know, people, because they pursue that uh, selfish pursuit of, of prestige or reputation, what, where do they find their identity? They find it in the title of their job or the work that they do, as if that is the definition of them. Versus how you do. I'm in Christ, that's where I find my identity, and I do what I do because it's for him. Versus, I do what I do so that you think I do a good job or I can get praise from you or uh, whatever it happens to be. But uh, do our work as unto the Lord. And really that uh, we wouldn't be two-faced, right? 
I act this way when I'm at this place. I act this way when I'm at another place. And um, you could end up having all sorts of faces that maybe you forget which one you're supposed to have at whatever place you're at. And much better to simply walk in the light as he is in the light and be you wherever you go. I do what I do because I'm doing it unto Jesus Christ. And keep it that simple. It makes it so much easier, right? I did not grow up that way, unfortunately. I grew up acting a certain way at home. And when I was out of the sight of my parents, I acted a completely different way. Because that's what I wanted to do. I wanted them to have a reputation of me in such a way, a nice boy. But I really wanted to do all sorts of other things that I knew they wouldn't like. I remember an instance in fifth, I think it was fifth grade, fifth or sixth grade, but we had a book fair come to our school, and um, we'd be excused to go down to the book fair to look at the books and see what we might want to buy. So one of the first kids that goes down, he comes back, and we're sitting in the back of the classroom, and he pulls out, and he's like, look what I got, and he had stolen one of the books. Like, whoa, how'd you do that? What? Wow, and you know, he explained how easy it was because you go in there, no one's watching, and you just put it in your pocket. Oh, okay. So I stole some books too, and some other kids stole some books, and there was a lot of books stolen. And then when the book fair went to uh, get ready to to leave, they did their inventory, and guess what they found out? They were short a lot of books. And through the course of all the interrogations and whatnot, and we got found out and um, busted and got suspended for a whole day from school. <laughs> bad, bad. But <laughs> but uh, the thing that I remember and I, why I bring this up is, um, you know, through the discussion I had with my folks after, uh, you know, later that day or that night or whatever it happened to be, uh, one of the things I remember is that uh, you used to be such a nice boy. What happened to you? Well, I don't know. You know, the obvious little kid answer. <laughs> oh, no. Why'd you do that? Oh, no. Uh, <laughs> but I wasn't taught repentance. What true repentance is. Because what I resolved to do after after that was I resolved to do better at not getting caught. Not change. Not change my ways, not admit that, yes, what I did was wrong, I shouldn't do it, and I need to change my ways. It was uh, sorry, I was sorry that I got caught, and now going through my mind was, what do I do now to make sure I don't get caught next time? How do I keep my reputation versus my true who I am, my character? And so, you know, that's part of that uh, Wherever you go, does it matter who's watching, who's there? If I'm living unto the Lord, it should always be with the same character. Never, um, I'm with this group so I can get away with such and such. And um, all you young ones, take heed to these things. If you think that you can get away with stuff, your parents might not ever know, right? But God always knows. And your sin will find you out, so... Learn it now, you'll live a much better life than the foolishness that I went through. So, boils down to whom do I desire to please? 
in all reality, as, as we live life, where whoever you're with, who are you truly desiring to please? If you're trying to please self, you know, then you'll, you'll live in that way. If you're trying to please somebody else, you'll, you'll, again, act differently. If you're just simply trying to please the Lord and serve him, that should be who we are in Christ and, and not um, chasing after our own things. You know, so is my joy found in doing as little as possible or getting away with things? Or is my joy truly found in doing all things heartily as unto the Lord? It's always a good question as, as you get to do things. Um, you know, came across a, a thing that I guess is going around um, the Internet or the TikTok or whatever those things are. I'm glad I don't follow those things, but I do hear things. This idea of quietly quitting. I don't know if you've heard of that yet, but this idea of um, the way it goes is these people are claiming to quietly quit at work, meaning they're only going to do the bare minimum and not do anything above that and, and get away with, with not being an achiever. And number one, I think it's quite humorous that they think that that's maybe new, like they came up with this idea. I mean, haven't people been living that way most of their life, doing as little as possible until someone watches? And then, oh, I'm working. But this idea, uh, it, but the sad thing is, is they're proud of it. I mean, the good thing is, is they're honest, kind of. If they're truly honest, they'd go to their boss and say, I have decided to only do the bare minimum, which any contract I've signed for work, it doesn't list out bare minimums. It just says, this is your work. Not a bare minimum. It's just this is your work. So the the, the whole idea is is foolish, but it's it's nothing new. People have been doing that all the time. The the sad thing is is now they're proud of it, as if that's a good thing. Uh, but you know they'd say probably most interviews that people do, they uh, always overpromise and quickly underdeliver, and that's how people act. And it's like. Oh, this quietly quitting, I guess it's good, but how silly. Why? Well, if you're serving self, that's how you live. If uh, you serve in the Lord, you're not looking to cut corners. If you're serving the Lord, you're not looking to uh, the old government joke, you know, government work, you know, is such, you, you only need to go so far and it's good enough for government work and, you know, you don't have to do as much and, but, uh, who do we desire to please? And that's really the bottom line. And, it, and then it doesn't matter what you're doing, what work you're at, and that we just desire to, to love the Lord. You know, if you pray a prayer, Lord, what can I do today to glorify you, to love you? Maybe you pray that prayer before you go to church service. Lord, what can I do at the service today that glorifies you and just want to love you. Now, if you pray that prayer, would you ever expect to hear the answer to be, I want you to go today and do as little as possible. Just sit in the seat and drink some stu coffee and eat some snacks and 
interact as little as possible and you know, how much better if no one talks to you, then that's a sign that you shouldn't talk to anybody else either. And um, someone says that they'd like some prayer, just just nod your head and tell them that you'll pray about it later and don't, don't even uh, engage. And when the worship starts, just move your mouth a little bit, make it look like you're doing something and uh, you're, you're kind of engaged and... Um, when the, the study starts, make sure you have your phone nearby because you're going to need to check your email a lot because some important things might come in. Um, you might need to check some headlines and um, maybe the sports score. And you need to keep on top of these things. It doesn't really matter what's going on. And um, when the service is over, get home as fast as possible because you got a lot of me time to catch up on this weekend. So that's how you should do it. Now, now you know my heart, how I've lived these things out before, and and now it's, it's like, oh wow, and it hits home. <laughs> it's uh, kind of funny to go through that and think, oh yeah, my heart is that horrible. Well, that's not funny, but just funny that you think I can. I think I can get away with things. I think, oh, I already heard this study before, so I can do these other things, and it's not that big a deal. Versus, why am I here? Is it because I love the Lord, desire to serve him, desire to love him and and see him glorified? Or am I here just checking the box or, you know, whatever it happens to be? But So Paul, writing and just, you're doing these things, Philippians, you're obeying. You're doing the things of the Lord because you love him. It's it's not about Paul watching them and whether he's there, whether he's not. They're living these things out. And he says, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God which worketh in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure. So anytime you read that verse, always make sure you remind yourself. What does it say? It says, Work out, not work for. It's work out your salvation. We're not doing works for salvation. We're not doing works to get saved. But we are doing these things because we're living out what God has worked in. That salvation that he won. He did the work. We did not. There's nothing that we can do to earn that whatsoever. There's nothing that we can do to uh, take his place. But he does this work of salvation in our lives so that we can live that out. And that's what that is, is work out your own salvation. For it's God who works in you to will and to do for his good pleasure. So you you do not serve and love Jesus to be saved, but you serve and love Jesus because you are saved. And it's all for him. And it's for his glory. Revelations, not revelations, there's only one. I rarely make that mistake, but hey, I made it today. Revelation 4.11, which states that you were created, I was created, we are all created for his glory. That's why we're created. It's for his glory. And then he does this amazing thing because of sin, we can't come to him. So he does the work of 
salvation so then that we can receive that and he works that in for his will and good pleasure. An amazing thing. He created for that for us. We stepped away and then he makes that way for us to be able to come back. What an amazing God we serve. And there's plenty of verses throughout the Bible that talk about putting off the old, putting on the new. Romans 13, 12 talks about casting off the works of darkness and putting on the armor of light. Ephesians 4 speaks of putting off the old man and putting on the new man. Colossians 3 speaks of putting off all these things and goes into the works of the flesh and putting on uh, the things of Christ. And above all these things, put on love. Ephesians 5 says that we are to walk in love, walk as children of the light, walk circumspectly, and be filled with the Spirit. Galatians 5.16, This I say then, walk in the Spirit, and ye shall not satisfy the lusts of the flesh. As we get to live this life out, His salvation, we get to simply live these things out. And that we wouldn't be producing works of the flesh, but fruit of the Spirit. So live out your salvation as we live this out, as we're rooted and grounded in love. And, and it's really for the furtherance of the gospel. As we live out his salvation that he has done for us, right? We live this out for the furtherance of the gospel, for his glory. Psalms 9.1 says, I will praise thee, O Lord, with my whole heart. I will show forth all thy marvelous works. We get to show forth all his marvelous works. Number one, the work of salvation. I was, but now I am. Put off the old man, now I walk in this. Why do you do what you do? I do what I do because I love Jesus. I do uh, my work like this because I love the Lord. I go to this because I love the Lord. I worship, I sing out, I because I love the Lord. I, I do these things because I love Jesus Christ. And we get to show that out. We get to praise him with our whole hearts, that work that he's poured into us. We get to live that out, which shows him. Not because of what anything I've done, but all because of what he has done. You know, think of Romans 12, what an amazing thing that we get to live out. Not being conformed to this world, Right? those things that we used to walk in, but being transformed by the renewing of our mind in Christ Jesus. And he gives us gifts. We get to live out those gifts. Uh, what a thing. What an amazing thing. And so as we live this out, verse 14 says, do all things without murmurings and disputings. Everyone has that on their uh, fridge, right? No? Do all things without murmurings and disputings. Not one that's prominent. <laughs> it's not on my fridge either. <laughs> but maybe it should be, right? Uh, you know, what a verse, you know, you consider it and like, wow. Um, if you ever purpose to try to, I'm going to do that today. Five minutes later, you'll probably find out, oh, man, I blew it already. I complained about this or was upset about that. And, oh, Lord, how can I do these things? And it's really, I think, a, a picture of 
contentment versus discontentment. As you're content, you know, I, th- I think thankfulness is a great sign of contentment. When we're thankful, giving thanks unto the Lord, thanking him in all things, for all things, all, everything that the, the Bible gives, Psalm 100, enter into his gates with thanksgiving. You know, how many times is it said to, to be thankful unto the Lord throughout the Bible? Quite a lot. And that thankfulness, I believe, is a sign of contentment, where I can be thankful where the work I'm in, uh, the things that I'm doing, uh, any, any of those things is that contentment. Now, discontentment, um, the sign for that is that murmuring, that complaining, that disputing. That's a sign of discontentment because it shows that I'm not content. When you're not content, you're upset about those things. It's not going my way or I shouldn't have to do this or whatever it happens to be but that we would do all things without that murmuring disputing. You know, we can read what happened to the Israelites in the wilderness, right? All their murmurings and complainings and disputings and think, how could you do that? You saw God do miraculous things. Ten plagues, right, that got you out of Egypt. You saw the Red Sea part in two. You not only saw that, but you walked across dry land, which is quite amazing. Not only that, uh, there was that cloud that protected you uh, from the Egyptians. There was the, the cloud that provided the shade during the hot days. There was a cloud of fire for the night that, that led and guide. There was food on the ground every day but Sunday, and you got twice, you gathered twice as much on Saturday and provided for, provided for, provided for everything that they needed, protected through the whole thing. And yet, what did they spend most of their time doing? murmuring, <laughs> disputing, this is not fair, this is not right, this is on and on and on. And we can look at that and think, how could you do that? But how can we do that when we have the amazing new life that Christ has given us? How he does lead and guide us. And uh, Paul writes to Timothy and says, godliness with contentment is great gain. And that we would be those thankful people um, in him. And we can think, uh, well, what about the, the tough times I go through or the suffering that happens in my life? And um, how, can I, how can I just not murmur and complain? Or how can I not uh, be upset about these things? And it's good questions. And we must remind ourselves that in the book of Philippians, where's Paul again? In jail. What kind of suffering did Paul go through? Quite a bit. And so what did he know? What did he hold on to? What kept him? We can learn things from that, right? And and what about uh, some other people? What about Joseph in the Bible? What kept him? What was he able to hold on to when he's thrown in the cistern and his brothers are talking about killing him? But then he's sold into slavery. And then he works as a slave. Then he's falsely accused, and now he's thrown into prison. And what did he hold on to the whole time? How was he able to do such a work? He did all things heartily unto the Lord. Did he not? And the Lord blessed wherever he was at because of his love that he showed and demonstrated in how he did his things, that it was all for God's glory. Now, Joseph was 
given basically just a couple visions right. That's what he held on to. God's word in that promise that what was going to happen one day, his brothers were going to bow down, right? That he was going to be in that place. And did he see it? Not for a long time. But yet, Psalm 105, verses 17 through 19, you know, depict this, that God sent a man before them, even Joseph, who was sold for a servant, whose feet they hurt with fetters. He was laid in iron until the time that his word came, the word of the Lord tried him. He had that promise. And the whole time, whatever he went through, that testing, do you believe? Do you trust that this is going to come to pass? And what did Joseph find out? Yes, <laughs> it did. What an amazing thing. And um, what about Job? I want to talk about someone who went through some hard times, right? And again, uh, real quickly back to Joseph. You know, he had the, the two visions, the, the dream of the sheaves and the dream of the stars. What precious promises have we been given that we get to hold on to? We have a whole big book of all those precious promises that we get to hold on to. How much greater, how much more we have. Now Job, we all know the story of Job, and um, I don't think anyone prays uh, that they want a, a similar experience. But yet, what did Job hold on to? He lost a whole lot. He lost much. He suffered much. And then he had three, quote-unquote, friends come by and lambast him about how Job is wrong and he's in sin and he needs to repent and uh, that it's all Job's fault. And they're talking... Uh, for about things they had no idea about, but yet criticizing Job. And, and so Job had what to hold on to? Well, chapter 26 is, is a great summary of uh, Job responding to these so-called friends. And uh, he goes through, he's like, basically, hey, where were you guys at? You haven't created anything and, and goes through the attributes of God and his creation and how great he is. And <clears throat> the last verse of Job 26, verse 14 says, Indeed, these are the mere edges of his ways. And how small a whisper we hear of him, but the thunder of his power, who can understand? And just talking about God and how he created and how great and awesome he is. And, and he says these are the mere edges of his ways, the, the outskirts. We just we barely can scratch the surface of knowing him and his greatness and his wonder and his majesty. And we can even see that in, in creation itself as man looks out and continues to look further out into the stars. They think they know more, but yet have they reached the end? Not even close. They think they know what black holes sound like. We've never stood next to one, so we don't know, but yet they claim. However, they model those things. Maybe it does, maybe it doesn't. But they claim many things, but have they reached? They've just gotten to the outskirts of these things. And then if you look 
as small as possible and dig into the, the, the cells and, and whatnot, and what they thought was just nothing but that cell, now they can dig in even further and see just how amazing a single cell is and how there's more going on in that than anyone can imagine, like tiny little factories. And if you dig into that, I bet you you see even more. And if you dig into that, I bet you there's even more. And we're just scratching the outskirts of what he's done. Think of grace. Ephesians 2, 7 says that in the ages to come, he might show the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness toward us through Christ Jesus. And we know just, again, the outskirts of his grace. We don't know the depths of his grace, but yet we're going to spend all eternity diving into those depths, diving into the depths of his love. We know just but a little, but yet how great he is and and how small a whisper, he says, how small a whisper we hear of him. Now you think, if you think that God doesn't hear or God doesn't see or God doesn't know, he does. He doesn't have to scream at you. He doesn't have to yell at you. He doesn't have to rend the skies open for you. And in fact, what's going to happen during the seven years tribulation, he's going to send an angel to declare the gospel. So all those that lie, that say, I'd believe if he wrote it in the sky. They don't. That's just an excuse not to believe. But yet, how small a whisper. You think of his sustaining word. How amazing his word truly is. And I imagine we all have a verse that we hold on to many times or go back to because it sustained us through whatever trials we went through, whatever troubles we went through. And we can go back and we can go, yes, the Lord did that. It wasn't loud. It wasn't screaming. It was just simply his word. Jeremiah 29, 11 for me, where the Lord met me in a time of of hurt, time of pain, a time of, um, you know, two two years in the Lord, I think, and just thinking, I'm going to quit because this pain is too much. It's too hard. I don't understand what's going on. And just there's got to be hope and trying to search for hope. And I had a Bible that had a, a small concordance in the back, and I was like, well, I'll look for the word hope. And if I don't Find anything that sustains, I'm done. And read the first entrance and like, nope. Read the next one, nope. Read the third one, Jeremiah 29, 11. It says, for I know the thoughts that I think toward you, says the Lord. Thoughts of peace and not of evil to give you a future and a hope. Thank you, Lord. <laughs> Able to hold on to that. That this isn't for uh, what's happening is, is for evil, for whatever, but he's right there, and he knows. And that peace that is able to come in, that peace that truly surpasses understanding. I didn't get it at the time, but now I can look back and I can say, that was for the furtherance of the gospel. It's not about me, but it's about him. And he's able to do this work uh, in our lives. Um, And you can go to whatever sort of verses that the Lord has given you that has sustained you. And you can see that it, how small a whisper, but yet how loud, how powerful, how magnificent truly his word is. His word is living and powerful, right? 
And when it, you know it just sustains you, you, you just you see it, and it's an amazing thing how his word does that. And yet he doesn't have to, to scream. You don't have to say 20 prayers uh, over and over again. You don't have to bow down in any direction. You don't have to do these things. But yet his word, living and powerful, nothing else does that. You can look at any other religion. Nothing has this sustaining power, and yet it's just like a small whisper almost. And the noise, don't get caught up in the noise. Who's loud and noisy? Well, the enemy, right? Gets you confused, gets you distracted, does everything to get your eyes off the Lord. Think of the storm that the disciples went through. Jesus is sleeping, right? Don't you care? You don't even care. (laughs) We're going to die. And the noise and the calamity and the the fear, you know, all that's done to to bring fear, to bring you to to a place of, of breaking. But yet, what did Jesus do? Peace be still. Did he have to grapple with with the powers of of nature or fight or anything that just simple peace be still now you think of harvest time right harvest time is a good time how much noise and commotion goes into harvest because many times we get the misperception that power comes with great noise and commotion that that's the sign of something happening but yet, from all the noise that goes into harvest, right? A lot of noise, right, Ransel? Think of all the sustaining and, and amazing power and work that goes into the growing of those crops. How loud is the sun? Not loud, right? But yet, provides everything that's needed. How loud is the ground providing the nutrients? Not loud. And that noise of the, the harvest doesn't even compare to the amazing power of the growing of those crops. At least I think. What a whisper to just whoosh, an amazing thing. So as we look to Jesus, yeah, what did he do to create? With a word. I don't get the sense that it was uh, with uh Trying real hard and force and it's just simple again. Let there be light. Let the animals come forth. Let the, the, you know, et cetera. For creation, the calming of the storm, the healings. You know, how much commotion do those uh, false healers on on TV have? They have lots of hype and the building up of of all that emotion and, and the jumping around and the hooping and hollering. But yet when Jesus healed... Pretty simple. For the joy that was set before Jesus, what did he do? He endured the cross. When he was brought uh, before his accusers, Isaiah 53, 7 says, He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. And then the greatest whisper, if you will, the empty tomb. The empty tomb that is the loudest, if you will, the loudest, most powerful thing. And yet, it's not screaming, but just the simplicity of the empty tomb, the power of God, his resurrection power now in our lives as well. 
Amazing. So do all things without murmuring and disputing. And when you find yourself in that spot, isn't it a beautiful thing that we have repentance? Lord, forgive me. I'm wrong to complain about this. I'm wrong to um, dispute about this. Change my heart. I want to do these things for your glory, not for my selfish pursuits, because, again, that's where I think a lot of that murmuring and complaining come from. It's not going my way. It shouldn't happen this way. But yet, all things that happen in the end is for the furtherance of the gospel. Some things that we go through maybe is to to clean some things out of our own lives. The Lord uses those things to to uh, reveal what, what needs to get removed. Sometimes it's for someone else to watch and to do, do a work in their life. Sometimes It could be all these different things, and we don't know what the Lord is doing every time, but yet can we fall back and trust and know that he is there, that he hears, that he truly does have a future and a hope for us. And how much greater when we're with him anyways. All for him. All for his glory. Now, Peter writes, hey, if, if you're acting the fool and you're suffering, well, that's on you. Don't do that. <laughs> but yet, if you're suffering for Christ's sake, that's a different story. Know that it's for him and for his glory that we do those things. And so why should we do these things? Well, it's picked back up in Philippians verse 15 that ye may be blameless and harmless, the sons of God, without rebuke, in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation, among whom ye shine as lights in the world. All that so that we would stick out like that sore thumb for all to see. You know, those that that are quietly quitting and, and not doing their all can look at you. Why do you do? Why are you doing more? Because I love the Lord. This is for him. It's not for you. It's not for anybody else, but it's for him. That's why I do that. How about you? Why do you not do? Uh, Most people don't have an an answer. One of the places I worked at when, I don't know, high school, someplace. I wasn't smart enough at the time, and I fell into the same trap that that they brought me into but um you know first few days at the job doing my work and wanting to get the work done and uh, everyone else went on break and uh, their accusation was i was making them look bad because i kept working now if i was smart at the time and didn't want to go oh well i guess i'll not do as much work i could have just let them know that no you guys are doing a good enough job on your own making yourselves look bad has nothing to do with me because <laughs> that's really what it is right but they try to use that pressure to get you to do what they want to do and, and i mean that's how it boils down to but i'm not going to do it that way well i unfortunately did at that time but since then since then i don't have to go to work and and find ways uh, how to get out of work i can go and do my work because i love jesus christ and it's for him has nothing to do about me. And when I blow it, when I complain about stuff, go to the Lord. Lord, forgive me. I shouldn't act that way. I can go to my boss. Sorry, I didn't give my all with that, with that job that we did. 
Will you forgive me for that? Now, most scratch their head and like, huh? Oh, you're only human or, you know, whatever weird excuses that they have, but it's because they like to have that excuse too. But to just live that way. Why do you do that? Well, because I love the Lord. I want him to be glorified through these things. And that we'd be blameless, harmless lights in this crooked and perverse world. Holding forth the word of life that I may rejoice in the day of Christ, that I have not run in vain, neither labored in vain. And um, that we live this way, that nothing would be done in vain. Now, what kind of works are done in vain? Ecclesiastes tells us what all is vanity, right? All that Solomon chased down. He chased down um, what it was to have lots of money what it was to have lots of education, what it was to have lots of pleasures and really, again, selfish pursuits. What's the conclusion? All vanity. That's vain. If you're living to further selfish pursuits, what's in the end for you? Vanity. That's all vain. It's all worthless. That's the stuff that gets burned up before the bema seat. That's gone. And we'll look back in, in pain, I think, like that, that pain of loss of, why did I do that? Why did I chase after that? What a waste. But yet all the things for the furtherance of the gospel, for his glory, all the jewels and the gold and all those things that remain after that burning, that's all for him. And then he gives us a crown. We're like, wow. Then we get to lay those crowns down and he gives it back. And what an amazing God we serve. And he pours these things out for us that we wouldn't do these things in vain. Uh, that we would be found walking in the good works that Jesus has created for us beforehand. He prepared these good works for us to walk in. You know, where is true rest found? Is true rest truly found in selfish pursuits? Or what does Jesus say in Matthew 11? He says, true rest is found when you are yoked with him. When you bring your burdens and lay them down at his feet. And he says, I will give you rest. That's true rest. Being found in him and doing the things for him. And and what a group. You might be tired, right? You still might be fatigued from working. And that's not the idea of rest is just doing nothing. But rest is no longer... Murmuring, I mean, how much rest do you get when you're in that state of discontent? When you're in a, in a state of disputing, complaining, murmuring. There's really no rest in that. And that is always just cycling through your mind and genning up anger, maybe. Maybe genning up envy. All those things. There's no rest in that. But when we're serving Christ and doing those things, there's that rest the difference between the works of the flesh, that's again the, the, the works pouring into, versus the fruit of the Spirit. How much work does the fruit do? It doesn't. It just, it's there. That's rest. That's true rest. Not found in, in all the, the selfish pursuits. And then verse 17 and 18, Yea, and if I be offered up upon the sacrifice and service of your faith, I joy and rejoice with you all. For the same cause also do ye joy and rejoice with me. Now what amazing 
joy that we can have in, in what we do, knowing that it's for him, great joy in that. When I'm selfish and chase after those things, there's no joy in that. But yet the joy when you serve the Lord and you say, Lord, this one was for you. This is for you. I'm going to do this because of you. There's great joy in that. Again, that that rest that we have in him and that and and um, you know, what joy that we can have. And it's all for the furtherance of the gospel. We'll end with chapter 2, verses 1 through 5. Paul says, If there be therefore any consolation in Christ, if any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, if any bowels and mercies, Fulfill ye my joy that ye be like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind. Let nothing be done through strife or vainglory, but in lowliness of mind let each esteem other better than themselves. Look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. All for him and really in all reality, for the furtherance of the gospel, that as we are those lights that shine, let your light so shine that all that see your good works give glory to God. It's for him. So prayerfully encouraging. For me, encouraging going through things. I'm always encouraged even when get that uh, that crack that feels like a, that, that cracks like, ooh, that stung. <laughs> but yet, just taking away that, that dross that needs to be drawn away so that you can say, yep, that was wrong. But yet, I can find repentance and have that repentance when the Lord continues to do that work in our life and to say, yep, that was wrong. That's not good. Lord, I just want to be yours. So, Father, thank you so much for your love and your grace. Lord, thank you that uh, truly, Lord, when we sing amazing grace, Lord, that, that doesn't even come close probably uh, to the depths of your grace, that we would know more and more, Lord, and love you more and more and desire you more and more, Lord, and just like uh, just how chapter 2 starts, Lord, if there be, as if as if there that was truly a question, Lord. There is, and this should be our life, Lord. Desire to, to simply love you and be yours. Lord, thank you for salvation. Thank you for new life. Lord, thank you that you have taken these stony hearts and replaced it with that heart of flesh where you write your law upon our hearts, Lord, and that, that, that your word would dwell in us richly. And Lord, that's what would be proceeding. Those would be the issues that proceed up. Uh, of our mouth, Lord, that those issues of our heart, all about you. So love you, praise you, glorify you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right. Go forth.